Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. This is episode 18 of the podcast. Today's topic is emergency medicine. My guest, Dr. Augusto Sigliano, is a doctor of emergency medicine practicing in Glendora, California. So we're going to chat about his background, some of his experiences in the ER, when you should go to the emergency room versus the urgent care, and his opinion on holistic medicine. We're also going to be chatting about stress and the pituitary adrenal axis and nutrition. Also, stay tuned at the end of this episode. Dr. Sigliano is a musician, so he's going to be playing a little song on his ukulele. So stay tuned for that. If you want to read my blog or listen to other episodes of this podcast, visit teaspoonofhealing.com. If you are an iTunes user, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a star rating and a review. I'd really appreciate it. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Golf Tours. Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com. Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today we have a guest, Dr. Augusto Sigliano, Doctor of Emergency Medicine. Hi, Augusto. Hi, how are you doing, Dawn? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm just hanging out here in my garage. It's freezing, but I have a baby inside the house, so sparing you guys the crying. <laughs> oh, I don't mind it, but I, but I understand. Congratulations. Uh, you said you have it at a two-month-old baby when we were talking during the break before we started recording. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's it's a lot of work, but it's just such an amazing time. I know. She's she's beautiful. She's our first. So I have two boys and one, one girl. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So doctor, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and training in emergency medicine? I grew up in Long Beach, California. So I'm just up the road, I guess, from where you are. I went to high school and locally at college there. I graduated from Cal State Long Beach. I was a president scholar there, so I stayed local. And then I applied to medical school, which was a daunting task. You know, I thought with a really high GPA, it'd be really easy, but it was actually very difficult. I applied to 31 medical schools, got into one, (laughs) and that was in uh, Chicago. So I went to Rosen Franklin University of Medicine and Science which was in North Chicago for two years and then the center of Chicago for our rotations. But I eventually, uh, when I decided to pursue my residency, I decided emergency medicine and I came back to California and I got my first pick and it was Loma Linda. 
which was a great experience. It was a three-year residency program, a lot of critical care experience dealing with really sick people. And I think being a doctor, you know, you want to expose yourself as much as you can to as many sick people as possible. Because when you're on your own, you're sort of on your own and you carry those experiences with you. So, and right after residency, I sort of got a little burnt out for a little while and just decided to do urgent care for about three months, which was also a great experience too, because you see very different type of medicine in, in urgent care. I was an urgent care doctor in Palm Desert for about three months with VIP. It's an interesting group of patients in Palm Desert because you get the older person, the retired person that, that moves to Palm Springs area that is trying to avoid going to the emergency department at all costs. You know, they equate ER to they're going to die. <laughs> so they'd come in with just things that, you know, they needed to be in the ER for. I mean, they'd be having heart attacks. They'd be like on their deathbed and they'd come into urgent care. Did your experience at the emergency medicine that probably helped you out a lot there to be able to tell people that this is where they shouldn't be? Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw all sorts of, and, you know, I'd see things where people would refuse care there. Like I had this one guy that came in and had essentially cutaneous anthrax. He had been exposed to anthrax in the desert. And I told him, hey, man, you got, you got to go into the hospital. You know, I got to notify the CDC about all this. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I have something I have to do. You can't, yeah, I can't do that. He's like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? I'll send you out. I mean, it's sort of, okay, let me give you this and try to contact as many people as I can. But you know, I mean, it's a big deal. You know what I mean? Uh, people don't want, uh, they don't want to get stuck in a hospital. They don't want to be hospitalized for stuff and they don't want to be stuck with a big ER bill. So urgent care was interesting. And eventually I decided then after all of that to go uh, into emergency medicine into the ER after that. So my, my friend um, said they were, they didn't have enough ER doctors at a local hospital, community hospital, San Bernardino. So I said, well, if you really need me to go, fine, I'll do it. And I got involved in that. And from the first day, it was just a, a, it's an eye-opening experience. So do you actually, do you work at Foothill Presbyterian Hospital? Yeah, I work at Foothill. And then uh, we, Foothill joined with CVHP a couple of years back. And so there's a Queen of the Valley and Intercommunity Hospital. So I work sort of equally between all three emergency departments. And you also have some other interesting parts of your background. So why don't you tell the listeners, so you are into music and singing. You know, I, I started getting into music. I started learning how to play the guitar back in college. So near the end of college when I was doing work in a lab, my degree is in molecular biology. So I was doing research in one of the research labs there. And while you're waiting for things to incubate, you sort of have a lot of downtime. I brought a guitar when my friends knew how to play. And I sort of, I got guitar for dummies and self-taught myself. That carried me through most of medical school, just playing the guitar. And then I learned how to sing, too, while playing the guitar. As long as your guitar is in tune, I could keep my voice in tune. From there, my guitar broke, and my dad had a ukulele. So I picked up his ukulele and started uking, you know, playing the ukulele. And ever since then, I've just been enjoying the ukulele. Wonderful. So for the emergency room, I'm sure you have some crazy experiences in there, and we'll, we'll get to that. but. Oftentimes people are debating, like you said, when you worked in urgent care, people didn't want to go to the ER. They don't want to wait hours and hours and be stuck in the hospital. People are fearful of that. I get it. I am as well. So when should people go to the emergency room? Like you said, you saw people having heart attacks and they were just going to urgent care. When should people go? And is there a time where you shouldn't that maybe the urgent care is better, you know, won't take as much of your time? That's a very difficult question to answer. It's tough because I haven't really been sick myself. So 
generally speaking, if you look at the CDC guidelines for when you need antibiotics, I have a cough, I've been sick, I've got a bronchitis, I need antibiotics, I need to get back to work. Generally speaking, when I see patients that come in that that may or may not need to be there, it's usually with that as being their chief complaint. And you know, if you look at the CDC recommendations, if you have a cough, a cold, and a runny nose, you don't need antibiotics for that, essentially. Now, there's a caveat to that. If you've been sick for longer than probably three to four days, and then you start spiking high fevers, or you feel sicker than that, like you're vomiting and you can't keep fluids down, you should probably go in and get checked out. If it's not at least staying the same or getting better. Most coughs and colds and sort of influenza flu-like symptoms will last about 10, 15 days, but really it's a bell curve. So you start getting better around the fifth day or so, fourth day. So if you're not getting better, there's a problem. You may want to get it checked out. But if it's the same sort of just not feeling well, you have a little bit of a cough and it could be, you could be coughing up green, you could be coughing up yellow. That doesn't really make a difference. The other thing that you should look at is uh, how high risk you are. You know, if you're an older person that has the flu and you're really weak and you can't get up and you can't walk and you're short of breath, you may want to come in and just get checked out. I mean, you you may be sick enough to need oxygen and need to stay in the hospital too. You know, I mean, there's there's other things other than that too. So a lot of it's self-driven. If you're if you were sick and you're just not getting well enough or you're getting worse, you may want to get checked out by a doctor. Now, as far as the emergency department is concerned, sometimes you can't get in to see your doctor. And I think some people, they don't want to go see their doctor because they can't get in to see them in two weeks. And who wants to be sicker for two weeks when you know you get those antibiotics right away, you know, you can get it treated faster. So there's a lot to that. But the ER is open 24 hours a day. And if there's an issue, you can always come in. (laughs) That's the way that it is. What are some experiences that you had in the ER? Is there anything, anything you want to share I'm sure you just saw pretty much things that run the gamut. Well, uh, my take on on things is there's a natural flow and balance of everything. So I prioritize. I try to see the sicker patients first and be aware of who's sicker and who needs more attention. It's just time management when you're in the ER, really. And you try your best and hopefully everyone has a good outcome. I have a pretty good sense of who's having a heart attack, who's not having a heart attack, if someone's having a worse situation. So I had a, I had a kid the other day that was 20-day-old that came in and was vomiting green. And it was a busy day. I'd had, in the same amount of time that that kid came in, I had a guy that came in that was having a massive stroke, a lady that had overdosed and may need intubation, be put on life support, another lady that was someone that I needed to put on life support too. So all four of those people came in at the same time, if you can imagine. So the last one of those four was that 20-day-old kid. And I looked at the kid and I said, no, 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 you have a real issue going on. You know, I looked at him and said, you know, first I looked and said, do I need to put him on life support? What's going on? And so you have to sort of breathe in what's going on. You can't just quickly see them for two seconds. So I looked at him, I stayed in the room for about a minute to two just to sort of get a good feel for what was going on, you know. And I looked at the type of vomit that he was having for a 20-day-old to vomit green is sort of a weird thing. So I examined him and he looked like he was fairly stable and he'd been sick for a couple hours. And without ordering any labs or any x-ray studies, I transferred him to Miller's Hospital. And I knew right away, just looking at him, that he probably either had a, an intussusception or some rare disease. And indeed, he did have a rare disease and he was in surgery the next day getting it corrected. But it's that ability when everyone else is sort of falling apart to look at that person, make the phone calls that need to be made right away without delaying anything, and then mobilizing 
all the other support that we had. I made sure that he was safe. I made sure any other orders that need to be ordered, you know, routine type stuff got done. But then I could take care of the other sicker patients that were in the department, you know. So it, it and you know, I sort of float around and make sure everyone's okay. So it's not just the ER doctor. It's all the support that I really have, you know. When I go into work, I may make some critical decisions, but, you know, the decisions are carried out by competent nursing staff support from the community. All these other bigger hospitals are really helping out when, when, when kids really get sick or when other adults get sick, the internal medicine hospitalists or the, just the internal medicine doctor, that's their primary doctor. You know, every, everyone coming together and helping out really allows me to not only see all those patients, but also the less sick patients that are coming in and try to do it really in a timely fashion. You know, you don't want to go in and not be seen for five hours. So we get it all done. <laughs> Sometimes that's the reality is that you do have to wait. Hey, sometimes you do. And you know, sometimes you do have to wait. That is true. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you do have to wait, but we try to make it so that that never really happens. Even here at Foothill, you really get seen within 10 minutes of arrival by a provider of some sort. That's a big change from the way it used to be. Medicine used to be, well, maybe a nurse would see you put orders in and it'd take about two to three hours to see the doctor. But you want to see the doctor as soon as possible, you know. If you got that bronchitis, you might not know it's bronchitis. You may think, hey, I'm going to the ER to make sure I don't have a heart attack. Sometimes you're having bronchitis and you're older and you're 80, and it's putting so much stress on your body that you may actually be having a heart attack too. So you have to sort of, it's it's hard to give the guidance saying, hey, you know, don't come into the hospital and you're only, you only have a bronchitis because sometimes you have a bronchitis and it's exposing your underlying heart disease. So you really have to uh, know your body and you as an individual sort of know, hey, you know, I need to go into the ER. It's really up to the individual person. Well, I want to ask you a question. I have a lot of interviews where I've interviewed people coming from the more of the holistic spectrum. What are your opinions on holistic medicine? And also what practices from holistic medicine could people incorporate, including nutrition, to keep them healthy, keep them out of the ER as much as possible? It's a good question to ask. I think you have to sort of look at what are you seeking out when you're going to holistic medicine? Are you trying to get cured from something or are you trying to prevent something from happening? Because if it's preventative, you have to know, you have to also weigh the risks and the benefits. For instance, when I was uh, in Long Beach, my sister was really getting into acupuncture and she wanted me to go get acupuncture and try it. I had never tried acupuncture. I'm a healthy guy. I don't have any other medical issues. So, you know, I mean, fine. I'll see if it, if it works, right? I go in there, the guy's put needles in me, you know, puts one in my forehead and hits a nerve. And now I have nerve pain in my head. It lasted for like two months, right? So Really? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so does acupuncture work? Well, maybe it does, but I didn't need it. <laughs> and now I'm injured from it. So, But if you have chronic pain, you have to look and see if the guy that you're going to is good, right? Maybe acupuncture would work to help with that chronic pain. And I think a lot of where medicine is going nowadays, we try to incorporate that's the push from a lot of hospitals and uh, insurance type. From that point, they try to incorporate holistic into the traditional medicines right? and give that as an option for people because they do work. They work. They've been around for centuries, right? Those ways of treating things. How could it be around for so long if it didn't work for some sort of ailments? As far as for holistic medicine, I think the thing that's of benefit is at least from what I learned in college too, I took a mind-body spiritual class and they uh, we read a book that sort of talked about the pituitary adrenal stress axis, right? The mind and the body connection. And when you're 
as we live in a society where we're constantly being put under stress, even if you choose to ignore it, you still a certain amount of stress that's involved, bringing your kids to school, going to work. And then you see all this stuff that's happening in the media and politics. We're always being exposed to it. And when we're exposed to things, your body has to interpret it the way I think probably naturally back, you know, 10,000 years ago, before all this stuff was there, maybe, you know, 100,000 years ago, the things that we would expose ourselves to were more immediate things, right? You see something, you run away from it, you see it, you kill it, you eat it, right? Or, you know, it's, it's, but the way that we are now is that we think about it and we constantly are thinking about the things that we're reading, the input, and we don't really have a good place to put that. It's just, it sort of stick, it sticks with us and it raises our overall body stress. And over time, that stress of always constantly feeling like you have to fight or flight, I think wears us down. So a lot of what, what I interpret holistic medicine as being, you know, including yoga, acupuncture, massage therapy, eating a balanced diet, meditation, things like that, is a way to combat this, I feel it's almost an unnatural process that our bodies are being exposed to in our real world that we live in now. I don't think we're quite designed to handle evolutionary <laughs> everything that's been going on, right? So it's worthwhile to do holistic medicine to try to break that cycle of stress that's wearing down our bodies and making us die at an early age. And then you add in good uh, eating habits, right? You want to try to eat eat balanced and healthy, which is a tough thing, right? And exercise, routine exercise helps to get the stress out and also helps to maintain our bodies in a natural balance. There's a lot to it. As far as comparatively, if you look at holistic medicine versus the type of medicine that I practice, what I had told you before was this simple fact is if you have an inflamed gallbladder and you got pus that's in, you know, your, your stomach, you don't want to, you know, do acupressure. The last thing that's going to help is if, you know, you, you change your diet at that point, you really need to either uh, get a surgery or get antibiotics and you need to combat the bacterial infection that's going on in, in you somehow. So holistic medicine may have its limitations and doing a combination of holistic and the type of medicine that I practice is probably the same thing to do. So yeah, we touched on diet and have you found that there's more of a push about nutrition? I'm studying some nutrition right now. Well, personally, you know, so, you know, you get stomach ulcers, right? And bad gastritis and people say, oh, stay away from spicy food, stay away from, you know, uh, alcohol and things like that. What I find really, the thing that really inflames my gut is sugar. Like if I eat a bunch of sugar or sugary substances, I get really bad acid reflux. I mean, I can't eat a lot of sugar, you know, I can only eat a little bit of it. And, and it also depends on the type of sugar too. I know it's weird. It's, it's just, <sighs> I don't know for sure what, what exactly... All the research is showing. All I know is what my own body tells me. So I know that right now I'm, I'm with the newborn, it's sort of tough, but God bless my wife for helping me, right? She uh, has really allowed me to maintain a normal schedule where I can go to work, I get my exercise in, and am able to help out with the baby. But at least I can get my exercise in and still work and, you know, eat, eat a, eat a well-balanced meal. So and it's interesting when you start really, I think, exercising and really focusing on that type of thing, the diet tends to change too to accommodate you. So as long as you just sort of try not to put too much bad foods into your body, your body's a real machine to really uh, digest and incorporate what it needs. Is there anything else you want to add before we get into to some music? 
And also one other thing I wanted to ask for, for people, young people or people of any age who are interested in going into medicine, specifically emergency medicine, do you have any tips for them? Yeah. You know, uh, take everything with a grain of salt and try to uh, have fun while doing it and realize that you get out of it what you put into it. The more you learn, the more your patients will benefit from your knowledge. There's a lot of information out there and really trying to make that knowledge your own is the most, is the battle, right? If something doesn't make sense, you got to learn it until it makes sense on some level. You know, if you're just regurgitating what someone else is telling you, then you might not understand it fully and you might not be giving the right advice. So try to make it intuitively make sense to you. And I think that's the other thing for me is that all my medicine intuitively makes sense to me. So when I'm dealing with something, it just, I'm not thinking, what did I read? What did I do this? It just, it's just the natural flow of it. I like to compare things to martial arts. If you look at the great martial artists, the reaction time and everything, it's just, it's incorporated into their being. So if you really want to put all yourself into something, it's got to be beyond just book learning. You really have to incorporate all that you've learned into yourself. So it just becomes second nature. You know, when someone throws a punch at you, you're not thinking, okay, I got to put my elbow up this way and block it back this way and do that. It's just a natural flowing in with the motion. It looks uh, seamless. And that's what we need to do in our lives is train ourselves to, to be able to handle the things that we deal with every day. And that's for anything, right? Not just medicine, not just martial arts, but being a mom too. You, know, you streamline everything. That's what my wife does. You know, she, she has her routine down and that's the routine that we do. <laughs> you got to that with every kid's different, you know? So going into it, I always thought, oh, yeah, my kids, they're all the same. You know, you give them this food, you give them, you, you do this to them and they're all going to turn out the same. Everyone's different. Every situation is a different situation. Every individual, every human being is coming at life from a different point of view, a different angle, and they all have their routine that they need to have to make them the happiest. You can't just throw the same thing at a situation and it work every single time. Everyone is different. Every situation is different. And just being aware of that is, uh, is important. I don't know if that's helpful, but putting your time in is an important thing. You know, if it was, if, it, if it's too easy to do, someone else is probably doing it too. And you're probably not going to make money off of it. <laughs> For- People trying to get into medical school, like you had mentioned, even with the best grades, it's, it's very hard. So do you have any tips about persevering? Oh, geez. It's, it's just a monster. You know, I, I think that there's um, getting good grades is an important thing. Showing your commitment to medicine is an important thing. There were people even in medical school that I was with that quit. Despite all that effort in getting in there, they quit. So really showing that you're going the long haul, you know, that you're not just going to peter out. So having good grades is a good step. And then the other thing is doing volunteer work, looking at the application process, seeing what all is that they're looking for, getting as much volunteer experience as you can, and getting out into the community and showing that you're interested in helping people. Because it's one thing to say that you're interested in helping people, but you want to show that through uh, the experiences that you've had. You know, you want to show that. And then the other thing is most people, when you go for your application, as far as for getting into medical school... For whatever reason, they don't want to hear that you just want to help people. I don't know why. It's like, it's, I think because everyone says it and they just don't want to hear it. But I'll tell them that till I'm blue in the face. You know, I like to talk to people. I like to help people. And that's my motivation when I wake up in the morning to study, to learn. And that's the fun that I have when I'm there is when things go well. If something doesn't go well in the ER, you can at least be assured that I'm not going to go home whistling Pete. I'll go home and it'll weigh heavily on me. If I've done something that that's hurt someone that I've messed up on. There is no person that would punish themselves more than myself, you know, uh, as far as uh, it weighs heavily on my shoulders. I think about it and I carry that with me forever, you know. 
I would expect that um, if you're going into medicine, you have that same sort of drive. I want that in all my providers. Thank you, Augusto. Now, you said you, you play the ukulele and you sing. Do you sing in Italian and English as well? I can't. I know a couple songs in Italian. You know, I know Conte Partiro. You know, it's a good wedding song. Have you ever heard of that? Conte Partiro? I have. Probably also sometimes when once I hear the song, it's like, oh, yeah. My dad would always play these songs. Do you want to play a song? Do you want to sing or do you want to just do the ukulele? It's up to you, but. Uh, I don't know how good the ukulele would come through. I mean, I can play a Jack Johnson song on the ukulele. Sure. Yes. That would be great. This this is the first song I really learned how to play on the guitar. And then about a couple months ago, I translated it into the ukulele. So I'll play it for you here. Are you ready? Yes. Thank you. It's called Flake. It's all right You can make it up next time And I know she knows It's not right There ain't no use in lying Maybe she knows something I don't Maybe, maybe she thinks it's fine Maybe she knows something I don't I'm so, so tired So tired of trying It seems to me that lately Pretty much always means no So don't tell me you might just let it go Oftentimes we're lazy It seems to stand in my way Cause no one, no night No one likes to be let down And I know she loves the sunrise No longer sees her with the sleeping eyes And I know when she says she's gonna try Well, it might not work because of other ties And I know she usually has some other ties And uh, that's it. (laughs) Yay, that was great. It was excellent. I used to have a music radio show for for three years. So I always had musicians come on and often sometimes with ukuleles. That's really good. You have a really good voice. If you want to do that one, or you can do uh, my Conte Partiro. That was great. Woo, bravo. That was really good. And so do you ever play it in local? Sometimes I'll sing to my patients and then I'll just do some volunteer things. You know, I just have fun with it. It's just another little thing that I can do that's, you know, it's just fun. So if you ever get sick and you're in Glendora and I'm there, I'll sing you a song. How about that? Hey. Well, thank you, Augusto, for, for joining us and have a great meeting and rest of the day. Thanks, Don. Okay. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have a question for me, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com. Click on contact, fill out the form, and I'll get back to you. 
While you're there, you can sign up for email updates and you can read show notes, listen to previous episodes, download transcripts, and read my blog. If you're an iTunes user, please consider subscribing to this podcast and leaving me a review and a star rating. I'd really appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of the use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein. Thank you.